My guest today is Matt Milligan. Matt is my former law partner, my former jujitsu training partner, and currently the director of the Institute of Conflict Management at Lipscomb University in Nashville, Tennessee. In this episode, Matt and I discuss what I consider to be an area that most trial lawyers overestimate their ability and spend the least amount of time deliberately uh, developing, and that is the skill of negotiation. It's kind of like we spend so much time doing it, we assume we must be good at it, but that's not always true. I'm sitting down today with my former law partner and my former jiu-jitsu training partner, Matt Milligan. Matt is currently... uh, did you say an assistant professor? An assistant professor. Assistant professor at Lipscomb University in Nashville, Tennessee, and also the director of the conflict management or the Institute for Conflict Management at Lipscomb. So um, Matt was a practicing lawyer for a number of years and then um, decided to get out of that rat race and become uh, an academic. So, uh, but I have asked Matt to join me today, partly because he's my friend and partly because um, over the years, how many years have you been at Lipscomb now? Um, it'll be, gosh, it'll be almost four, um, this December. Okay. So peri- when Matt and I have periodically talked since he got out of the private practice of law and got into the, um, academic end of conflict management, uh, from time to time, we've had conversations that made me think he now knows something that I don't know. Um, so Let's frame how, as a lawyer, at least I tend to look at negotiation and conflict resolution and then sort of take it to, well, what would you what would you have us mere street lawyers know that might be helpful in in resolving conflict on behalf of our clients? Uh, In other words, if you had it to do all over again, what do you wish you had known when you were doing what I'm currently doing? So we talked for a minute before we turned on the recorder, and I think it's fair to say that from my perspective and probably from most lawyers' perspectives, we have a case, we have a a conflict between our client and someone else, and we tend to look at the bottom line. Like, if there's a chance to settle this case, what does it look like? And we typically tend to define that largely in terms of what are the possible or likely outcomes if we go to trial? And then we kind of bargain against that. And if you have two, for the moment, I'll say good lawyers, um, who both have sort of the same uh, calibration on what a, a likely set of outcomes is, and two reasonable clients who will listen to you, then frequently you can drag them to within you know, arm's length of each other centered around the, um, the anticipated outcome. But you were saying that the bottom line driven negotiation and analysis may not only be not the best way, but it might be a bad way. Well, first of all, thanks for having me on. Of course. Um, For those of you, you know, listening, whether or not you're driving or sitting or, or walking in the park, just imagine, uh, sitting in an upper room with Dana McClendon, a guy who shared with me a lot of wisdom <laughs> in the years that I practice law. And you're surrounded by a, a unique mixture of guns, ammunition, and electronic equipment. <laughs> and you're getting to talk about life lessons that you learned in a pretty comfortable environment. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I've learned a lot. And there was a lot in which you just said um, 
that takes me back, right? I mean, right. today uh, I looked on my Facebook memories, as a lot of us do, and it was 13 years ago today I was sworn in to practice law in the state of Tennessee. Oh, wow. Okay. And, and if I'd only known then what I know now, I could have saved myself probably a lot of stress, uh, a little bit of gray hair, and a lot of frustration and misunderstanding about how to practice law and how to negotiate. Let me give you an example. Um, you said sometimes you have to drag your clients. Well, that, that, that that's something right there, right? right? Every negotiation for a lawyer is really two. We that's have right. to negotiate with the other or attorney. Maybe, or maybe three or four. That's exactly right. right? There's at least two. For sure. And, and so we've got to work with the attorney within the range of expectations for our client, which hopefully we've done a good job setting those expectations yes. early. Right. And then we have to go back and talk to our client. Uh, if you don't mind, I'll share with you a story about uh, both a success and a failure with a case with which you'll be familiar, so we'll change the names. All right. Um, there was a case I took late in our partnership. Um, it was a, a criminal case, uh, one of the most serious cases you can do in Tennessee. It was a rape of a child case. And the evidence arrayed against my client was it was overwhelming. It was credible. It was interlocking. It was it – was, the technical term for that is – not good. It was not good. Um, from a leverage standpoint, which is something else we can talk about if you want, uh, I, I didn't have much. Right. Right. And my client, who was uh, older than both of us, was looking at a possible sentence if everything arrayed against him had been charged consecutively, as we say in the business, 250 years. Yeah, he was looking at dying in prison. Right. And uh, in Tennessee, uh, at the time this was done, the minimum sentence was 25 years day for day on a, on a case like this. So he was going to die in jail on the minimum sentence. Right. So the case had been going for four years. We'd shared a ton of district attorneys. And uh, we'll, we'll use the name Peter. I, I kept talking to my client, Peter. I was like, I understand why you can't take this deal. What would it take to make a deal work? And, of course, his answer was that it just has to be dismissed, yes. which was never <laughs> right. going to happen. They're wrong. I need an apology. Well, I've been studying um, negotiation by this time for a couple of years, and I thought I owe it to myself and my client and my, the classes I teach to practice a little bit of what I preach. So I went to the DA, who who now had inherited this from <laughs> three the cases ancestors, right. and we had an hour before the judge came back on the bench. And I sat down at a round table, and I sat beside him, and I said, look, uh, would you mind if I engage in a little process with you? And he said, sure. So I said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to ask you what's important about this deal. What, what's so important to you about this deal that you feel like you have to give the offer of, in this case, 25 years day for day? And so he started to explain it to me. And you and, and you could probably guess. I'm the sure things. he said because I can win and get that sentence. Yeah, well, and, and I have no reason not to. In not so many words, that's exactly what he said. He want to say, I want to send a strong message to the community, right? Right. I want to be fair. Right. I have to show that crimes like this against uh, the and most I'm not vulnerable going, among us. And I'm not going back to my office and telling the other people in my office that I that I sold this one short. That's exactly right. He has to save face, right? Yeah. Um. And and of course we understand that. So I said, Do you mind if I share with you what's important to me? And I used his language um, and agreed with him. It's like, well, I'm a member of this society too. I think it's important to have a strong and firm commitment to protecting the most vulnerable. I'm, I'm a dad. So everything that he mentioned, validated that. I validated that. And then I said, would you mind brainstorming with me possible ways that you and I could fit all of our underlying interests? And maybe it looks different. Our only rule will be we can't criticize the things that we bring up. 
at the end, we'll kind of star the ones that now, look the at, most. Now, at this point, he's he, he, he's like cross-eyed. He's confused. This is not a conversation that in almost 30 years I've ever had with a DA. Would you engage in a process with me? I know. I know. And, and <laughs> Now, that doesn't make it wrong. It's just I want people to understand that's just not – that's just not the language that I've ever seen. Every attorney listening to this right now is rolling their eyes. Right. I, I know they are. <laughs> but I caught him on a good day because I knew he had no other files in his hand, and I knew he had an hour to kill. And so he did it. And we started crafting a plan. 59 minutes into this process, we had a, a sentence. It was 30 years, but only 10 would be spent in jail. The next ten to serve, ten, twenty on close scrutiny. Yes, probation. on a on a graduated right. Um, earn your way, scheme. earn your way out from under, in which everybody would be protected. He wouldn't be a menace. The state's interest would be served. He would have served his time. The vic, the young victim wouldn't have had to testify. It's exactly right. All these, all the things that we talk about as being important. It's an incredible deal. Right. I've had a client facing two hundred and fifty units of liability. Right. I've reduced it to ten. Yeah. So proudly, yeah, with my so, chest puffed out. Right. So you have now completed phase one phase of the one. negotiation. Negoti- phase one. I shake his hand. Incredible, successful negotiation in phase one. I'm thinking I You am, only need now to close the deal on negotiation phase two. That's right. And I'm expecting my client to be elated. Of course. That his negotiation professor attorney has, has now, secured this Has deal. now turned an exposure of 250 years. To 10. Into 10. For which he'd already served several. So I go to Peter. I say, Peter, you know I'm not going to tell you what to do. We've been together a long time. Right. But I've crafted a deal that did not exist prior to this. Right. It's the first time you've heard this. It's the best one you've heard yet. And it's, it, it's not going to get any better than this, I promise. Yeah, this is it. And considering what you're facing. Now, I'm excited. I've, mentally, I've committed to the deal. Of course. So I submit, I submit to him this incredible plan that I've crafted. And what did he say? No. He said no. Hell no. And, and as a matter of fact, he used even more colorful language than that. And I don't mind sharing, I lost my temper at this point. <laughs> right. I completely lost my cool. This like is, all the things I teach my right, class about, right. um, I, I lost it and I, I, I now stormed see, away. Yeah, because f- here's what happened. Here's what went wrong for you in that moment. You forgot to not allow expectations to emerge because right. you, because by this time, and I know the case you're talking about. So I, I observe from afar, this process unfold. Part of you knew he was never going to say yes to anything other than an apology and a dismissal and a, and a, a big check for his trouble. Um, but you allowed yourself to think that, you had you had not only saved him some life, but that you had like vindicated all of your new learning and like you'd made a new friend. And I know how important that is to you. It is. You had you had all shuckied your way into this amazing deal with this sophisticated negotiation technique that you had been learning and teaching. You just forgot for a moment that phase two was inevitably never going to go logically, rationally, or even emotionally in the right direction. I had designed and built good work. <laughs> and the reality came in like a wrecking ball. Right. And took all that down. Yep. So, And you know how I am with that. I, somebody does that and I go, okay, fine, we'll try the case. Right. Fine with me. Right. But I'm going out the door I came in. 
And 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 let's talk about let's talk about that when we get done about things that are hard in negotiating because I think we can come back to that. There's okay. some interesting stuff on that. So, anyways, so, so this was a, both this was a stunning success snatched the the victory snatched from the jaws of defeat, rather the defeat snatched from the jaws of victory by uh, an intransigent, irrational person who could not negotiate. That's right. There's there's a lot of lessons for me to learn. Um, from that and you know starting with my negotiations with my colleague uh, the district attorney in that one you know making sure that that person felt heard right listening to what was important to them I imagine it I mean I can see how it could work because all day long every day that guy deals with jerks like me who come in and go you can't win this or please 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 that's exactly right, right. Like, like basically the two strategies most commonly used by criminal defense lawyers is screw you try it pick a jury I dare you. Or please don't ruin his life. Oh, yeah. He's, his he's mama, different. His mama says he's a good boy. <laughs> he's different. I, I know he's got these and three prior and, felonies. Right. And all these things that he might or might not have done, he promises he'll never do that again. He's changed. Yeah. He's a, he's a better man. That's exactly right. And yeah. So, 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 so you're saying, so I hear you saying that there are other tools. There are other tools, right? Okay. And, you know, shameless plug, one of the things we do now is we train negotiating and and that is one way to train we call it integrative bargaining or collaborative bargaining where you give the other person the sense that they are crafting the deal with you of course there is a way to do this in which you let them have your way yes yeah, it's the, it's the matador effect uh, yes I, or the, burger king bargaining yeah, the, where the, you the bull thinks that they that the outcome might be different but yes but, he's, he's just chasing a, a red cape but all the, all the while you're being, as you say, all shucky and friendly yeah. and building rapport. With For those person. of you that don't know Mr. Milligan, he is the king of all shucky, which, which is <laughs> that sort of inside baseball joke with us. But um, Matt is a very personable fellow. So one of the things that was both wonderful and hard about negotiating um, with your colleagues was I enjoyed the reputation right, of being a negotiator. I enjoyed being known as going out and, and working for my clients. But what was really hard was the relationship with other attorneys because you want to you want to work hard for your client, but you don't want to ruin future interactions. And there's an interplay there, right? right. If I there's, push too there's hard. Either a re- there's either like a reservoir of goodwill. That's right. Or there's resentment. That's exactly right. I don't want to be the guy that everybody likes, but I I never get a good deal for my client, right? right? Yeah, and I don't want to be the guy who's a steamroller, and you know, no one will come to my funeral, right? Right. So there's a, there's an interplay between or people those won't two. even talk to you. I mean, there's a very short list, but there is a very short list of lawyers that I just about won't even make any effort to talk to. I'll just say, when are we going to court on this? Because like I, I, my experience with them is it's pointless. That's exactly it's a pointless right. Pointless exercise. And negotiation for us changes as the relationship changes. If this is a one-off transaction, I'm never going to see you again. I will more likely be a competitive person. I may still be friendly, but I'll be highly competitive. Versus, we're going to have iterative negotiations. We're going to do this right. again. We're going to change. We're going to change out the parts, but we're going to have the same conversation. That's exactly right. You and I will focus more on the relationship. Um, and and what's now, interesting? But that that I mean, in a prior episode, my guest Phil Newman suggested that 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 ongoing relationship is is helpful as uh, but i guess maybe there's some concern that perhaps you get too invested in the in the the relationship with the other lawyer and you 
could maybe maybe lose some uh, zest on behalf of any individual client. So that's that's a really good point because I think every attorney finds themselves in this position from time to time, right? We we want to maintain standing with our colleagues, especially those who are senior to us, because they have a lot of wisdom they can pass down and connections that they can help right. us with. At the same time, we are born, I mean, we are sworn and bound by a duty to be zealous advocates for our Yeah, and clients intuitively bring this up, too, because, like, if someone calls me and they're like, oh, my, my wife hired so-and-so, or my ex-wife hired so-and-so, or my ex-husband's lawyer is, sometimes, often... Most of the time I say, oh, well, I've known that lawyer for 15 years. And it and immediately the client starts down the path of or the potential client starts down the path of basically inquiring, is that good for them or bad? Right. Because they intuitively understand that, like, is this a good old boy thing where I'm, you know, like where you're going to sell me down the river or is this like somehow helpful? That's right. And and so let's talk about that. One of the ways, attorneys, you can guard yourself and everybody in any negotiation where you know the person, okay, um, is to have a clear understanding of what your goals are for the negotiation. So we would look at the norms uh, of our case, right? Uh, what are the sentencing guidelines? What is the judge most apt to do? Okay. Then we can think about the other person and what the goals are of their client most likely are. And then in our mind, we can set up range. And then if we're smart and we can come back to this, we can learn to focus on what's the most important you know, thing to focus on in any negotiation, we think about the goals of our client and how we can reach those. If we have those in mind, then we can go about negotiating in such a way as to preserve our reputation and the relationship while at the same time working hard for our client. So the, so the don't, I guess, is it fair to say then don't confuse the substantive result for the, um, for the frictionless process? Like, if I know this other lawyer well enough to call him and go, hey, look, let's cut to the chase. Your client says they want this. We both know that's not a likely outcome if we go see the judge. My client wants this, but I've already told him that's a that's going to be a hard get. What if we, what, you know, like we can cut a lo- cut away a lot of the the unnecessary and expensive hemming and hawing. But, but that's not, I mean, that's not bad. No, it's not bad. And you can do that with an attorney with whom you have a relationship. Right. Because there's an efficiency that has built there. The two of you trust one another. Yes. As opposed to someone maybe from New Jersey who just came down to practice in Tennessee. Right. Um, And you've built a relationship with this attorney. And you know that the two of you can work together. We see this all over the world. Different cultures negotiate much more differently, much differently than we do, where they pervert, they work to preserve the relationship first. And so doing over time, they have much more efficient returns than we do. Whereas in the American westernized system, we tend to win a lot more up front because we're aggressive. Over time, our gains diminish. So a brief aside, my observation has been that there are uh, – cultures in which it is endemic that the that a prolonged negotiation is the only way to proceed that isn't rude yes but like it's expected like if if i just if i just throw out the if somebody if 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 someone says well the the transaction cost is this and i go okay they're like but wait we haven't done the thing that's exactly right for them there's a dance yes 
and you don't short circuit the dance to borrow a phrase from someone else. You don't, you don't try to rush this portion, this portion, right? You don't skip the dinner. You, right. you slow down and you get to know and, and the mis- work on the relationship. And the mistake that I've made when I've, when I've, that I've learned to avoid now is if I see that being a possibility, then I open like most of the time in my practice, I don't negotiate my fee. Someone calls me, I assess the situation and I tell them, I will charge you this or the retainer will be this. Sometimes in these cultural situations that has led to what I consider to be like pointless and even borderline rude, where I've just quoted a flat fee for a situation. And now I'm involved. This person wants to know, would you take this? And I'm like, right. no. And for that, you should call someone else. I'm done. I, this the, the, Here endeth the call. Right. But that wasn't their intent. Their intent was they were expecting that I had already built in some room to bargain. That's right. And that the dance was inevitable. That's right. And I'm just, and, and my cultural background is that I told you what it cost. You don't want to pay it, don't pay it. Call someone else. And that must have been mystifying for those people. You know, the line I developed late in my career after I started studying negotiation for that particular situation was this. You want me to be a great negotiator for you. Is that right? <laughs> and you want to know if I can do it with you. Right. So if I if I let you, you know, work me way down off my fee, what do you think I'll do for you when I'm negotiating your rights? Right. Yeah. This is my fee because right. I'm good at what I do. Yeah. So that's a better approach than one time that I can think of where it happened to me where I had I had not only quoted the fee, um, I had been partially paid and I had then done the work and the gentleman came in to pay me the balance of the fee and then he asked me what I take less than what I considered to be what I was owed. And I just tilted my head and looked at him and I said, I'm going to turn around and work on my computer. You will put whatever you want on my desk and leave. In retrospect, your your approach was better. Well, I mean, there's a time and place for every style, right? <laughs> right. As, I, as I mentioned, when you realize the relationship's over, a different style may be more appropriate. Right. But let's let's go back and talk for a second about your point about what to focus on negotiation. Yeah, because I I immediately skip to so the it's a it's a criminal case that I've handled a thousand times or it's a divorce with a common set of facts, right? The details change a little bit, but the situation is custody, house, credit card, car, 401k, whatever. I immediately fast forward to the end game. Like what would be a good outcome if I went and tried this case? Who's the judge that that moves the needle a little bit one way or the other on some of these things, but not, I mean, maybe not a ton, but in some cases it does, but I immediately just skip to that and start working backwards. Right. So your, your suggestion is that may not be helpful or it may not actually get the best result. Well, certainly the more you prepare as a negotiator, the studies show, the better you'll do. Um, as a matter of fact, scientists get paid a lot of money to tell you stuff that your junior high athletics coach taught you. One hard work is, pays off. One is hard work pays off. The other is you got to have a good attitude, and your affect will affect your outcome, right? Um, those are both true and have been proven. But here's something. Let me, let, me give you four, let me give you four possible answers, and you tell me which one 
you think um, leads to better negotiation outcomes. Okay. Okay. The first is for you, if I, if, if before negotiation, I, I gave you one of four coaching pointers. Okay. I could say the most important thing for you to focus on Dana McLendon is one, your opponent's aspirational goal. Two, focus on your opponent's bottom line. Three, focus on your aspirational goal. Four, focus on your bottom line. Which would you choose and why? In the context that this question has been posed, my answer would be my aspirational goal. Why, why would you make that your goal? Uh, because the, I'm, I'm interpreting aspirational goal as a little more maybe fluid or subject to revision as bottom line is sort of sounds to me like a hard position that would be difficult to like negotiate for or against or with. Whereas if I lifted my gaze a little bit, metaphorically speaking, and said, well, really what's important is this sort of, I don't want to say metaphysical, but like this aspiration seems to be um, more important than picking some quantifiable outcome. Well, those of you who know Dana McClendon, I'm sure he's already- Now, my answer at the courthouse on any given Tuesday is my bottom line, because I'm busy and I want to go home and work out. Okay. Um, that was a really honest answer. Um, and one of those answers was the correct one from a negotiation theory point of view. Uh, those of you who know Dana McClendon, I'm sure he's brought up something about guns so far in one of these episodes. Actually, no, but okay. Okay, well- Now we're first. Dana McClendon loves to shoot guns, yes. everybody. And one thing he knows is the higher he aims, the higher he, the higher he'll shoot, the higher his, he'll hit on a target. Okay. The same is true in negotiation. All right. You know, as as attorneys, we're taught what? Pay attention to our case precedents. Precedents. Pay attention to law. Pay attention to what this judge will do. Pay attention to your experience. Because all those things in, uh, inform what we call our BATNA, which is our best alternative to a negotiated agreement today. Right? Okay. So we tend to focus on those things. And so what we tend to walk out with is something that's about like our bottom line. But that may not be what's in the best interest of your client. And so it's learning how to shoot for our aspirational goal and do better than our BATNA in the moment while at the same time preserving our reputation and our relationship with our negotiating partner. And that's where the creativity and the art of it comes in. So, um, well, that that's a lot to take in and maybe I'll have to circle back when that sinks in. Um, all right, so to kind of shift gears maybe, what do I do with a client who insists that as I in, as I bargain on their behalf, I do what I call the used car salesman approach to negotiating, which is to throw out a preposterous, immediately to be rejected counter offer or opening position. Like my opening, that my client is insistent that my opening position be some silly thing that I know can't be won at the courthouse that I know the other side is just going to be offended by. What am I to tell that person to help them help me? You know, Dana, I think you're someone who's pretty familiar with the idea of ranges or zones. Okay. <laughs> um, and, and there are zones in bargaining. Um, there are places where we should open in the bargaining um, posture that are good for us and places we should open that are really bad for us. For example... If you are wanting $60,000 in alimony for your client, 
Okay, we'll just throw out a number for there, right? Okay. Your goal is to get $60,000. I already, my client has already told me that that will be a yes. Okay, that's a yes. We know that that is somewhere in the zone of agreement for your client. Mm-hmm. We don't know what the other side's doing. All right. So you might think to yourself, maybe I should open really high. Maybe I should open at 100 and work myself back down. That is a bargaining strategy that's known as distributive. Okay. I find that tedious, time-consuming, and um, and uh, frustrating. That's good because everyone else does too. Yeah, like and when and there are and I'm not going to name names, but when I sit in in mediation and the way we do mediation in in this practice is in this part of the world, in a mediation say in a divorce case is me and my client are in one conference room, mm-hmm. the other side and their lawyer are in the other. The mediator goes back and forth and essentially conveys offers and comments between the two filtering them to make sure that things don't get heated or or like derailed by personal animosity so the mediator serves as like buffer messenger and broker um there are lawyers that i know that i go to mediation at nine o'clock and i know nothing that i hear until two thirty is going to be worthy of a discussion because they're going to start with this ridiculous position and then the next six times that the mediator comes in the room, they're going to have moved incrementally towards what would have been a yes at 10 o'clock in the morning. Well, that's called distributive. Yes? That's exactly right. Okay. And for thousands of years, that's how people in Western culture have negotiated. They know, and you see this when you get that offer letter in, a, in an auto case from the defense company, right? They've offered you less money than it costs for you to litigate the case. Yeah. Because they, they know something about anchoring, which is another thing we can talk about. Right. They throw out the low number. You're going to think about that number. And instead of focusing on your aspirational goal, you're going to start thinking about that number. And you're going to move way down to that number. That's what they're hoping for. They're hoping to drag you down to them. Which is why you're hoping for 60, right? You're thinking you're going to open high for the same reason. You're trying to bring them up. But depending upon which lawyer is in the other room, I either will or won't do that. Because I know that there are certain lawyers that I deal with somewhat regularly that don't seem to be capable of approaching a mediation from any other standpoint. And they have basically committed that we will be here all day and they will open at a ridiculously say low. And I will then have to deal with a respond with a threat to leave and eventually give them a ridiculous high. And we will spend the next six, eight or 10 hours incrementally moving towards one another because they can't do it any other way. And have we served our clients doing that? No. Right. But it becomes this kabuki theater. Yes. Because your client wants the bulldog. Your client wants to see your shooting hard. Back to your question. And in other cases I get to the mediation, I'm like, good. We, we can start in the worst case scenario. There is no ridiculous high or low. There are, we're in the ballpark at 930 in the morning. So let's talk about being in the ballpark because we both agree and and hopefully people listening will understand that when you offer too high, that's an insult. Yes. And, and, And so you've asked them to dig in and now you dig in. And it's like you're trying to tug on a tree to get it to move across the yard. Ask Phil Newman how many times I've heard what he had to say and said, thank you, please go get your invoice and started packing only to have Phil like, you know, like, you know, try to keep me from leaving. And the poor mediator, when they get this number, right. they know. They know. Right. Right. And they've asked some wiggle questions in the room right. with the other to, to try to get them thinking. And they're like, just hang in there. Right. You know, okay. Don't leave. Don't leave. I'm, I'm ordering lunch. So That's, let's talk about being Phil in the knows if he feeds me, I'll stay. That's right. Phil's a wise man. Right. So 
Now then, there's two optimal strategies in this situation, okay? Which are not the distributive strategy. Well, no, this is distributive theory. Okay. Okay. But the idea was that we want to anchor them high or anchor them low. Okay. Okay. So you don't want to be anchored. By the way, I'm giving you about 32 hours of a negotiation course. Well, that was the point. I think we're 30 minutes in. Right. Right. (laughs) Yes. So you're saving a lot of money right Right. now. Okay. So if this seems rushed for anybody. This is is the microwaved uh, associate's degree in in conflict management. That's right. So two ways to do this. One is to open right near 60 and be very firm in that. That's it. And say, look. Don't come back with, yep. My client said they'll take 60, but I want you to understand that best and final i can't move any off that so when you come back with 15 when you come back with 40 i'm gonna smile at you and, and say, say 60 60 is the number right, right? so maybe you open at 60 maybe you open at 65 try to give yourself just a little bit of, because the you, other side wants to be able to declare victory too that's exactly right so you're trying to be reasonable now but you're gonna have to be steadfast right if i pick the number and never move then we're gonna have a hard time getting getting to yes and now you're gonna be back in this hard bargaining right position okay i don't do that either so so another strategy, okay, which remember we're supposed to focus on our aspirational goals, right, is to offer just just outside that reasonable zone, maybe somewhere that's a little more credible, that's 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 almost that's near your aspirational number, but you tie as much facts, law, and everything else that you can to make that seem credible do you, for the do other Do you party. also throw in a concession on some other point at that? Of course. Right, here's your cookie. Of course. Let's remember Here's that. why I might win this. I have a fact, I have a law, I have, this judge is known for this. And by the way, if you say yes to this, then I will get my client to say yes to that other thing. So let's talk about that. Okay. So we're, we're jumping around a little right. bit, but, but to put a loop on this last thing, you open a little bit higher than that and you have to, but the trouble with this one is, it's you not know, just you'll a na- have to it's move. not a naked demand. That's right. It's a demand. It's a, it's a proposal with reasons that's right so you you put a much on that you make it credible now you've given yourself some room to work back but you have to be very clear because as you work back they're going to sense blood in the water and they're going right. to try to get you to work and so you right. can actually communicate with the amount of concession you give as you reach that target number that you're running out of time okay so now let's also talk about how you can give them something else that you want that they want, right? right? And that you're willing to give away. Right. Well, how do you find that out? Well, clients clients likewise frequently intuitively bring that to you and they go, I don't really give a shit about the dog, but she does. So I'm going to say I want the dog. I picked that as an example. Widget, blender, whatever. I don't care about that, but I know it's important to her or him. Uh, so uh, hold that back. And when we get close... We'll throw that in. That's right. Now, a lot of times, um, by the time you do a mediation, you've probably done a deposition in the past. Could be, yep. Right. So you've had a chance to have an actual conversation with the attorney many times and with the other person. And you've been able to develop both legal theories, but also you're laying the groundwork for some negotiation, mm-hmm. both planning doubt in their mind as to their position, as well as finding out what's important to them. What if you're bargaining with a what if you're bargaining in basically a blind date scenario where you didn't do a deposition, the case won't support it? Uh, you the the the, the, right. the you know the other side wanted to fast forward to mediation thinking that this ain't that hard we just need to get in the same building and get it done but i don't know my only understanding of the other client is filtered through mine right so of course you've asked I'm bargaining with a black box that's exactly right so of course you've asked your client what's most important to you about this case right sure. what are you willing to give away 
what do you think is important to them? You look for the you look for the carryover between those last two questions, right? And then when you get in there, you ask really good questions through the mediator to the other side. And you offer, you make your offers very indirectly and and judge. I gotta give you I gotta give you a short aside on this. You make your offers very indirectly and see what they glom onto. That tells you what's important to them. Right. Okay. I have a I have a student in my program right now. We we teach master's level conflict management courses. I teach negotiation in this program as well as a few other things. But Let me ask you something. Do you find that the people that are getting masters in negotiation are happily married? Many of them are. Okay. I was just wondering. And some this, of them. Does and, this work outside of the uh, out of the like? Um, legal conflict scenario. Oh, it does. And I will demystify Sunday afternoon for you in just a moment. Okay. <laughs> okay. So that's a little teaser for somebody there. <laughs> but I've got a student who's from Afghanistan and he moved to America, has actually working in the criminal, criminal justice field, found out about conflict management. This idea of negotiating came to class. What was fascinating is the first three or four scenarios that we do at the class, I teach, I don't speak the whole time. I give a little bit of information. We do a simulation. We compare the delta and results. Right. That's where the learning comes separate, from. You send off separate groups to come up with separate outcomes and figure out That's right. who, air quote, won and who sold short. And then we, we compare the results and we figure out in the moves that were made. How did you get there? What, what, what worked? What didn't? This young man from Afghanistan was wiping the floor with everybody. Why? They were all, everybody else in the room was used to Western negotiating tactics. Mm-hmm. He had a very different style. He would throw out these very indirect offers and listen to how they responded. And by listening, it's like playing Battleship. He threw out, okay, that wasn't important to him. Oh, red dot, that was. His next counteroffer wouldn't include the red dot, but include something else. And soon, he has gathered information about what's most important He's to him. He's triangulated. And he the, was quickly, as opposed to throwing out and, numbers and, and going back and forth. That. I'm not saying that can't be taught, but I'm not sure that can be taught. <laughs> it can't be taught in the same way in you know 30 minutes that it can be taught over a lifetime of learning. But the skill and the importance of understanding that you can find out information about the other side through really good questions, well, that's a principle that's there, yeah. right? And, like and knowing that that's a strategy is helpful. That's exactly but, right. But like um, that doesn't make you good. That 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 doesn't necessarily give you the innate. Like there's different styles of poker players, right? Like some poker players strictly do math. Mm-hmm. They they do the best they can to essentially count cards and they run probabilities adjusted by every card that turns up and they follow the odds, the mathematical odds faithfully. Other poker players have a conceptual understanding of that, but they're playing the player. That's exactly right. And And my argument would be those who can do both are probably your most successful players. Um, but I've only made it to the final tournament and our final table in one tournament that I ever entered into, uh, during a criminal justice seminar, which is another story for another day. Um, there was something we were going to come back to, which was demystifying Sunday afternoon. Yeah. So this is, as this is, this is the section, the segment of the program where you, I guess, negotiate with your spouse That's right. or, or someone that you have in a, a deep investment in a long-term relationship. Yeah. With. So we're, this is, you know, one of the first things you want to ask yourself in any negotiation is what is the relationship status here? Is this yes. a one-off scenario? Or is this something where right. am I'm going to see this person? It, am I stuck here? You know, that's a really cynical way. <laughs> I don't think the original unicorn would appreciate those <laughs> right. terms. But right. At any rate, that's what, what's one thing we want to think about. Okay. So, all right. So, um, we're gonna, this is going to be a little bit of role play. 
Um, okay. So let's say it's uh, Sunday around lunchtime. Mm-hmm. You've done whatever you were doing Sunday morning. For me, it's we go to church at Otter Creek, so we're leaving Otter Creek, and you get in the in, in the minivan. Now I've got three children, ages eleven, nine, and seven. Yep. Love them all, but yeah. <laughs> they get hangry too. Yeah. So we're in the vehicle, and what question where, comes out of the passenger's mouth? Where are we going to eat? That's exactly right. And and or usually I'll say it. Actually, I'll say where you want to eat. And and what answer do you always get to that question? No I don't know. You pick. Yeah, I don't care. I don't, and they do care, right? And, 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 and you and I had this conversation countless times. That's exactly right. Because it went like this. I would say. Where do you want to go? And you would say, I don't care. And I would say, good, let's go here. And you go, oh, I don't want to go there. That's right. That's right. I'll, well, this, 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 this actually brings up something between us, right? <laughs> right. And I was thinking of you the other day because I went to a Mexican restaurant we used to frequent uh-huh. uh, quite often. I was thinking about ruts. Um, <laughs> but that's another story for another day. Anyways, what do we know about that answer? I don't care. It's wrong. It's, it's false. Well, it's a lie. Right. And in this, in this situation, for many of you, that person has just spent two hours with Jesus. Right. And they've listened to a preacher, and now right. they're going to come and lie to you first thing, and they get to the <laughs> first minivan. First thing they right? do. That's, right. that's what's happening. Right. So we, uh, we're in the minivan. They say, I don't care. So, you know, I throw out a suggestion. Let's go to McAllister's. Yeah. I mean, it's close. It's right there. In and out. It's you not know, that expensive. It's, I'm going to get out and for under they got, 40 they got, bucks. They got 40 sandwiches there. If you can't find one, then that's right. eat some cereal when we get home. And I, I know, know you love potatoes. It's everything you could hope right, for, right? Yeah. But what do they always say to the first suggestion? Nah, I don't know. No, it wasn't their idea. What they want what they want to hear is you guess right where they want to go. They want to hear their answer in your voice. Yes. They right? want you to guess where they wanted to go. So you throw out another play. Not good. And 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 soon you're circling the parking lot. The kids are kicking right. the seat. Yeah. You've built no momentum into Sunday afternoon. No. Mm-mm. Okay. So so there's a way to get around this. All right. Um, and, and, and it's going to be something like this. When you get in the minivan, first of all, um, be the driver. Yes. This will help. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, whether you're male, female, whatever you are in the relationship, uh, get behind the wheel. Now, drive to where you want to go. <laughs> yes. All right. Now, Dana, I want you to be my passenger. I want okay. you to ask that question. Where are we going? Now, if I throw out an answer right. to this question, we know what's going to happen, right? I'll say, I don't care or, or whatever. And then, you know, we're, we're stuck in a parking lot. You say, where are we going? Guess. I'm, now right. I'm driving where I'm going to eat. Right. You say guess. So guess a place. McAllister's. McAllister's. Now, if I'm okay with McAllister's, you go there and you say, and I say yes. Whose idea was it? Hers. No, it was mine. <laughs> but she thinks it was hers. <laughs> and now we built all this momentum in the Sunday afternoon. We're both happy. It doesn't really care. I don't really care who gets my $40. Right. What I care about is that we've generated positive momentum. Right. I care about the relationship. Right. All right. Now, it doesn't always go that way. Yeah, well. but what happens if they don't say where you wanted to go? That's great. So, so, so throw out McAllister's again. McAllister's. And I don't want to go, right? Uh huh. Close. Guess again. So I have to pick. So you keep me guessing until I get your right. answer. No, I, so you guess one other place. There's a there's a there's a finish line here. Okay, uh, Peters. Peters, uh, Peter Sushi. That's a great answer for me. My wife, you know, She'd may or may not that. love that, right, but but, okay. but that's okay. Yeah, that's a good idea. So now I have a decision to make. If I can live with Peters, that's great because it's still her idea, okay, or the other person's idea, and wonderful goodwill. Goodwill's established heading into Sunday afternoon. If I don't like it, now I have to make a choice. 
Right. Do right. I right? Do I veto and counter? And then we're back in the parking lot, and the kids are kicking mm-hmm. the seat, or do I? So usually I'll say yes to that second idea, mm-hmm. right? Because again, there's I'm probably getting what I in, want. in this case there's probably a short, a predefined list of choices. That's exactly right. So okay. you've already negotiated out the completely never going to happens. That's exactly right. So the idea is that we give the other person this say, just like in the example we have with the DA. We give them a say. We get we get them to establish what they want, just like in what we're talking about with the mediation, and that they feel like they had a hand in crafting the deal. And then we get our way. And for me, it was establishing that what I wanted, my goals in the negotiation were someone's getting my 40 bucks, I'm getting lunch, and I'm preserving the relationship. Now, so what do you do? I do a lot of divorce work. What do you do with two people who seem committed to conflict and you're trying to the mediator knows what's up. You know what's up. The other lawyer knows what's up. There's three professionals, all of whom can identify the likely outcomes if you don't get this deal done and go ask one of the judges that we see. Um, what do you do when someone sabotages the thing in the you know at three o'clock in the afternoon, or they just want to bicker vicariously? through lawyers and mediators like they don't really ever they 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 just seize upon the yeah but how do you move people off of 5 10 15 20 years of built-in habit deeply ingrained conflict and have them start saying yes to each other so in that question there's a lot right Um, you know our trainer, Tracy Allen, who trains the Rule 31 mediator, she trains a whole lot of them in Tennessee. She's the former president of the International Association of Mediators. She could probably give you a lot better answer to that. What you and I both know as people who've done this work is, surprisingly, people who couldn't get along when they're married right. often don't get along when they're going through the divorce right. process. Yeah, right? they're, 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 now, they, now the gloves are off. That's right. And as opposed to they're two, they're done picking from the McAllisters and Peters list. Yeah. Yeah, that that didn't go well. <laughs> right. That right? they blew that up. Now we're now we're going for uh, something that's never been on the list. And and by the way, audience, that little scenario will work twice. Okay. <laughs> After that, it becomes a shorthand where you can make fun of me or blame me. Right. And then the two of you laugh about it and the pressure's off. Right. And you still right? wind up at McAllisters. But but with your high conflict individuals. What you have are two people who are no longer in their rational mind. Right. And, and what we want and what we see you know, in the studies that, that bear this out over a long period of time is people tend to perform better in a negotiation with the deal with they make the, the deal when they were in their right minds. And by right mind, I mean rational mind, when they were calm, when they were thinking. Right. This is why I, li- I will li- – I mean, I think in a, in a microcosm, this may be kind of what you're talking about. It's not – macro the same but in a micro sense this is why i will tell a smoker go smoke a cigarette yeah or hey uh let's go get coffee absolutely or it's time for lunch absolutely or walk with me where are we going doesn't matter walk with me those are all really good suggestions because what do we, what do we want to do we want to de-escalate break, yeah people. de-escalate and break the focus and the point of what we're talking about right now are all things i wish i knew I wish I'd known how to de-escalate myself as a young attorney who was impatient to negotiate. And I really wish I'd known how to de-escalate my clients. Yeah. Right? So your all of your examples are really good. And they're born out scientifically. There's a book out there that I would encourage every attorney to read. It's called Beyond Reason. Um, and it helps you understand, one, how to see people. Two, what's important to them. And three, how to use that 
in order to motivate them and move them forward. Yeah, I so my experience with mediating divorces, in particular high conflict divorces, is sometimes I have wished that my client could delegate a, to a decision maker who would be fully briefed on the facts and the client's wants and needs and whatnot, and then the client not come. Because then I could be dealing with someone who could do rational analysis as opposed to emotional analysis. Because there are countless times where I've seen a mediation. And if we're at a mediation, the clients are probably running a $1,000 an hour tab. At least. Between the two lawyers and the mediator. At least. We're on a $1,000 an hour clock, which sounds outrageously expensive until you compare it to what it's going to cost to try that case. Or to do motions forever after. Or to be in court for one day, right? So- um, but I have seen thousands of dollars consumed with essentially an emotional outburst that took an hour or two to get past. That's right. So um, that's where you have to kind of figure out. That's why a lot of times I will not agree to mediate a case with a, with a client until they are, they are over that emotional hurdle where Everything they talk about is is their emotional wound. Right. Right. They have not gotten to the point where they are prepared to have a conversation about the end. They are either surprised to learn that they are getting divorced or they are angry that they have discovered the reason they will be divorced or whatever. They, or there could be some pathology going on right, there that, that's yeah, preventing them. Right. They're, they're not ready to go to mediation. And I've watched too many lawyers force the mediation to happen too soon. And I'm like, this is a waste of time. There's no deal to be made here because one or both of them isn't ready to say yes to the end. They're not um, rationally ripe. Right. And I also don't want to take a client into mediation until I know them well enough to know how to slow them down, how to speed them up, how to reframe them. Right. Right. Like, and I hate to sound like I'm manipulating people, but my job is to give them advice and get them good results. That's right. And when they're, when they're like, Hyper focused on some minutiae that isn't going to change anything. Sometimes they need me to kind of grab them and go, "Hey, hello," like think, you know. And other times they just need to. I had one client who famously would turn it on me, and um, I turned it on her one time, and she kind of got mad at me. But she, I said to her because she had said it to me several times, "Do I just need to listen?" <laughs> Well, and if she hears this, she'll know who I'm, she'll know who she is. Well, we're lawyers, right? We're attorneys, but we're also counselors, counselors, therapists, at law, right? And and you, I think you have a famous phrase that you tell your clients about therapy, right? Well, therapists generally charge a fraction of what I charge, so right, you're half as qualified at least twice, right? Yeah, yeah, get one. But it's important to know how to bring our clients back down into a rational place. So let me give you some tips for right. that. Um, now. In the greater context of why two people may be high conflict, right, there are a lot of answers. Let me give you some because what do we want to do, whether it's telling them to go smoke, whether it's giving them a break, whether it's asking to uh, go on a walk, whether or not it's going to lunch with them, you're trying to de-escalate them by getting them moving or getting them in a routine or separating them from something that's giving them tension. The other thing you want to do is get them talking. You must have really good reasons for reacting that way. Help me understand what they are. Remind me of what's most important to you about this case. I observed when the mediator said this that you seem to react to that. Tell me about it. 
what's concerning you about where we are today? Do you have any questions for me? That gets them talking, and then you can explore why they're elevated and let them let go of that. One other thing I've found can be helpful is I'll say to them, listen, if you're done for today, we can leave. Like, it'd be great if we could wrap this up. We've made a lot of progress. If we leave, it might go backwards on us. We might not be able to pick up where we left off, but we can leave. Mm -hmm. And so when you remind people that they have a choice and that sometimes I think in a mediation, people get, they get to feeling like they have no good choices left and the only thing they're there doing is picking between terrible options. Right. And if I remind them, we can go, we can go right now. Just, you know, write the mediator the check and we're out. A lot of times they're like, okay. You know, they're like, all right. So that seems like it puts them back in the power seat, right? Like I am making choices, one of which is to stay. And 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 back to a point that's been mentioned indirectly today and, and very directly in your first episode, one of the values, and if I were ever to, heaven forbid, find myself in a situation where I need a divorce attorney and I found myself in a mediation you want to be able to pick the right mediator for the right case. Yeah. And you don't know that if you're a young attorney. It's harder to know because you don't know what, again, I don't want to sound like I'm setting up manipulations, but there are different mediators with different skill sets and right. some clients need to be have their hand held and need to be heard. And other clients need to feel like this person is efficient and wasting no time. We're here to make a deal. Let's make the deal. That's right. And and those are different. And and your clients have a variety of life circumstances. Mm-hmm. So for example, if you had a divorce case where the uh, and you're representing um, the wife and this was one in which there was some abuse, you probably wouldn't pick a directive male. Right. Because she would say yes really quickly, but that may not be or, in her best or, interest. Or, or she would react badly and shut badly. down. That's exactly and, and right. And shut down, and then you get nowhere. So you would want to be very careful, right? I've and I've done exactly that. I, I and I'm not going to name names because they're good people and they're good mediators. But there have been several cases where I'm like, the other side throws out a name. I'm like, absolutely not. So that is completely the wrong person for this case. So lawyers give great care and make sure you have really good connections to the mediators and judges in your area when you're picking um, a mediator and and. Those of you who are out there who might be thinking about needing an attorney, find someone who's been in that area for a long time and knows all the players because you will serve yourself a lot better if you do that. That's often very good advice. And, and um, so let's see. So can can lawyers like come take three, six, nine hours of these classes and learn new tricks? Oh, sure. Um, you don't, do you have to be a degree-seeking student or can you just come and pay the fee and take, you know, Three hours on negotiation. Sure. We get a lot of attorneys who come into our negotiation class, both as attorneys who are seeking a master's level degree. Um, I have, at, any, at any time, probably a third of my student body are attorneys hmm. who are seeking to you know, up their game or are seeking to transition into a mediation practice um, or are wanting to go into a consulting role. And so they come and get this um, master's degree in conflict management. Now what's that. the what's okay so let's say I decided Monday to do this. What does what does what are my choices if I come to the Institute for Conflict Management at Lipscomb? Can I can I take an a la carte class? Sure, absolutely. So you can do it one of several ways. You could take it as a training. 
you could come and audit the class, which means you might participate in the work, but you wouldn't do anything that was graded, right? You would you would maybe do the reading assignments. You wouldn't have to take any tests, which is everybody's dream. Of course, you don't get the academic credit for that, but it is cheaper. Um, or you could come and take it for academic credit, or you could take it as a training and get CLE. We do, okay, so we you do can, all those things. So yeah. like same, some somebody sitting next to me might be there pursuing a master's while I'm just getting 12 hours of CLE credit or something? That's exactly right. Oh, okay. I'd never, I, that never crossed my mind. For example, in our mediation class, um, you can actually triple up. You can take that class for academic credit, leave as a Rule 31 certified mediator, right? And um, get CLE for your time in trouble. Now, now say more about that because the, 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 the triple threat sounds like money well spent. Right. So is that like, now is, is that like, every Wednesday night for six months or how does that work? Okay. That's a good question. So in Tennessee under the rule 31, it's mandated. You have 40 hours classroom right now. It's mandated in person. They're meeting in July. Uh, so hopefully we might have an amendment to this to allow it to be online. Okay. Um, but you meet Law for 40 hours. Slowly. Uh, yes, it does. Right. Um, we, we all know that and sometimes for good or for, or for bad, but um, you would meet on Thursday night. All day Friday, all day Saturday, and you do it twice to get that's so basically, twenty hours. And is that over, like over two weeks or over right. in, in a month or something? That's that's twenty two twenty hour segments. Thursday so you night, string Friday, basically twenty hours together one week, twenty the next, and you get twenty hours of, of academic credit if you're interested. You would get three hours of academic credit. Okay, three hours of academic credit. But you get your 40 hours of CLE training. Okay. And I'd have to confer with my director. Some number of hours of CLE. It's an exorbitant amount of CLE. Oh, I think it's a quad for because you can use, you don't, you get CME credit. You yeah, don't you take, don't then the have CME to take, yeah, you, you're exempt from the first year of That's continuing exactly mediation right. education. So we do that. And then. How know, often does that happen? We teach the civil mediation class three to four times a year. Okay. And if you go to lipscomb.edu forward slash ICM, Rough, you can find all that. What's roughly the tuition? Tuition for that's around $2,500. Okay. Um, and then if you um, want to take the domestic class, we, t- we teach that every summer, except for this summer, um, for obvious reasons. That one will be this November, and there's also a domestic violence training that will go along with that. Which, in Tennessee, to mediate a case with the history of domestic violence in it, you are required to ha- not only have the domestic mediation training but the additional layer of domestic violence training that's exactly right and for that course if you go an extra week you can be a civil mediator as well as a family mediator as well as get your um domestic violence uh so that's three weekends that's right okay now all right let's say i don't want to be a rule 31 mediator but um i'm interested in knowing hey this this hour that I heard just piqued my interest, and I think it might may help me negotiate on behalf of um, alleged pedophiles. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Um, what are the choices there? You get, you could, I could just if I like, I can audit a class. I assume I pay for that. That's it's exactly not just, right. It's not just free. So an but, audit class is typically half tuition. Okay, um, and and that works out to. Uh, it works out to about sixteen hundred dollars. Okay, um, for four days of training. So if you break that down, um, it's a pretty good price per hour. Yeah. Uh, so there's a sure. lot of so you can you can building block this thing up to either degree seeking. That's right. Rule thirty one seeking, 
CLEs, CMEs, or just general edification. That's right. And I have to, I'm going to tell you a story. Um, the, the of reason, course you are. Yes, um, <laughs> because you're not going anywhere because you're tethered to a bunch of equipment. <laughs> That's right. Um, one of the things I love about this class is unlike your math teacher who lied to you in junior high and said you'll use math every day for the rest of your life, right? You, you may not be graphing things every day. You will negotiate every day for the rest of your life. Something. Um, you're negotiating your identity. You're negotiating um, with your clients. You're negotiating with other attorneys. You're negotiating with your spouses, your children, your neighbors every day for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. For those of you in the workaday world, you're negotiating with your boss and your coworkers about who's going to do what. Um, for those of you in college, you're negotiating with your roommates every day. This is a skill that's an investment in yourself or the however many years you're going to live on this planet, right? And so I get to take people who maybe because of their culture or the perceived norms and mores in their families um, or because of the trauma they've experienced in their past feel like they can't negotiate or advocate on their behalf because their mama taught them to be nice and we all of us had women in our lives who said, be nice, right? And for some of us, it's really hard to advocate because we feel like we're hurting the other person or we're not being nice. <laughs> and then you My see mother people. Said be nice, but that's I, right. But I didn't hear that. Well, the theory is if, right. if I'm nice and you're nice and we're all nice to then each other, we'll then get nice along. things happen, right? But of course, that was another great lie. Right. That's not how the world works. Mm-hmm. Mama meant well, but that's not how it goes. Okay. I had a student. This had been three years three years ago, it was early on. And she took my negotiation class. She's from Morocco. Conservative Muslim family had sent her to America to get an MBA, which in and of itself is something was, of an amazing was, feat. Right, was, was not especially conservative. Had put her up in an apartment in Green Hills, was paying for everything, car, I mean, well-off family, clearly. Mm-hmm. Pretty quickly in her MBA career, she discovered that what she really wanted to be was not a business person, but a pop singer. Oh, boy. <laughs> now, your oh, boy, as an American dad of boys, right, is magnified by 10,000 times right. as a Muslim father of a female. Who just wanted his daughter to come home and run the family business. In America. Right. So all the things that are going... Right. Everything I mean, he was, Everything that was his nightmare about putting his daughter on a plane and sending her to the United States manifested except he couldn't even conceive of how badly that's right right so in a worst case scenario she was going to marry an american and like maybe not come home that's right worst case scenario right that's the worst case scenario right instead she wants to be a pop singer so i begin my class i have everybody and we all talk about our worst negotiation the time we failed right (laughs) okay no hero stories allowed because at the end we want to look back on that and say i learned something right yeah she tells that story in the first 40 minutes of class about getting to America and realizing she wants and to be being, a pop singer. And being completely cut off by her family. Oh, okay. So now she's now she's living the dream. Yeah. I mean, I mean, she, she doesn't know how she's going to eat. Um, there's no power. So we immediately rip up the syllabus completely. And we start talking about cross-cultural negotiation, negotiating with power, how to negotiate when you have no leverage, um, reconciliation, all those things. By the end of the class, she goes back to her family and they have this great moment where she's able to negotiate her identity and advocate for herself while repairing the relationship. And to this day, she still lives 
indie area and is doing pretty well, as I understand. So for some people, they have to learn how to advocate for themselves. For some people, they have to learn to sharpen their skills on behalf of their clients. But it's neat to see people grow and change. So there's something in there for everybody. That is cool. All right. Did we leave any loose ends here? Oh, there's tons of loose ends. I'm, I'm sure. sure. We can come back and we, we, we could we can do another episode. Oh, that'd any, be great. Yeah. Maybe I'll come take a class or something. You would be a hoot. Now, see, what I do when I have someone in there I know and when I have negotiate, negotiators in there who are attorneys, um, attorneys – because of what they do, we build really good habits and really bad habits. When mm-hmm. we hear that extreme opening offer, that study show affects us less. We're <laughs> like, okay, this is a Tuesday. Here's an extreme offer. <laughs> right. I'm ignoring that. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. It affects other people more who are not used to doing this. Right. But of course, we develop some bad habits too. But I use my attorneys as bouncers in the room. Right. And what you do is you, I find students who are a little cocky or maybe taking advantage of other students mm-hmm. who are a bit negotiation neophytes, mm-hmm. and I pair them with the attorney pretty quickly. Right. The class believes that this is random. Right. It's not random. It's not at all. It's the same thing at a jujitsu gym. And that's exactly right. That's where I learned this practice. Right. And for those of you that don't know much about jujitsu, um, it is not uncommon in a jujitsu school for some uh, young athletic stud to show up and think he's going to sling people around. And sometimes, you know, when he's early on, he'll, you know, there'll be people he can sling around. And it's not long before the instructor um, starts to feed that person to the sharks. That's exactly right. And, um, and, and one of two things happens when that happens. Either that person humbles themselves and says, oh, wow, being big and strong is not nearly enough uh, for this. And now teach me what you know, or their ego gets bruised and they leave when we never see them again. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. And and for me, because the students already bound to the room anyways, right. they're they've, not leaving. Paid the they can't cleared. go out. That's right. exactly right. They can't go out. It's too late to drop the class. Um, they're going to learn, in addition to negotiation theory and practice, they're going to learn some other lessons as well. Right. And uh, and then there's a wink, wink between the attorneys. Right. And then we, we move on. Mm-hmm. So um, there's something for everyone. Cool. All right. Well, if you're interested, um, you can contact Matt at Lipscomb uh, or you can find the Center for Conflict Management or Institute for Conflict Management at Lipscomb and uh, peruse their classes and see what they have to offer. And if something works for you, go get it. So let me give you everybody a little bit of contact information for me. Um, My number is 615-966-2502. Um, that forwards to my cell phone, so you can always reach me during these times. My email address is matt, M-A-T-T dot Milligan, M-I-L-L-I-G-A-N, at Lipscomb, L-I-P-S-C-O-M-B, as in boy, dot E-D-U. And if you're interested in any of that or you just uh, want to tell me a great negotiation story, I'm here for that too. And also we do trainings um, outside the classroom where we'll come to you or we'll invite you and your firm in on a special day. That's right. And, and you're also available to well. moonlight and and, uh, and go out and, and like help people broker their own pieces. No, that's true. I get calls from firms um, quite often who are in a bit of a negotiation right. quandary. Yeah. And, and that's fun to help them. It's always easy when my skin's not in the game and they just that's want my time. Right. <laughs> yes. um, so it's easy for me to be the rational one in that regard as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Matt, thanks for coming in. This has been awesome. I'm sure we will do this again, maybe even after I take some classes. That sounds great. It was good to be here. Thanks, Dana. Thanks, man. I have a list of books I want to read, places I want to go, things I want to see, people I want to interview. And now I have a list of classes I should probably take. 
I learned a lot today about things that I thought I knew a lot about, but it turns out maybe I don't know as much as I thought. If you like what I'm doing here, please hit subscribe. There'll be future episodes for sure. Follow me on social media. I have the handle ready for trial on most of the platforms. And um, until next time, this is Dana McClendon, and this has been Ready for Trial. <laughs>